Hey fellow true crime lovers, my name is Patrick and I am the host of Not Adding Up. Not Adding Up is a podcast that features cases, as the name implies, don't add it up. This can be disappearances, strange deaths, wrongful convictions, unsolved crimes, and other unexplained phenomena. Each week I walk a friend or family member through a case in which they are unfamiliar. I do this to allow them to ask questions I may not have thought of while researching, or that you may have as you listen. The cases I cover range from ones that are well known, to some you may not have heard before. Since the cases I cover don't add up, I always encourage my listeners to form their own theories on what they believe happened, and never present my opinion as fact. Frequently my co-host has a very different theory than my own, which proves the cases I cover are ones that just don't make sense and need to be discussed further. So if you are a true crime lover and find yourself constantly forming your own theories when listening to podcasts, Not Adding Up is perfect for you. Tune in each Friday for new episodes, available on all major streaming platforms. Hi everybody, welcome back. This is episode 47 of the True Crime B&B. I'm Bailey. And I'm Beth. And today, I am back to my regular seat as the good guy, and Bailey is going to take it away with the bad story first. Okay. I'm interested to hear if you know this name, because it is a local Georgia case. Okay. I'm going to tell you the still kind of questionable murder of Marianne Shockley. I do not know if I know that name or not. Okay. Marianne was an entomology professor at the University of Georgia Athens campus. Wow. Bugs. Yes, so she studied bugs, but more specifically, she specialized in entomophagy, which is the practice of eating bugs, because she had a passion and had been working on a way to hopefully use that in order to solve world hunger. Okay. So it might not be something we want, but people who are struggling with hunger, she figured. If if you're starving, they say you'll eat what's available. If you can make it palatable, then I guess there's a lot to be said for that. Mm -hmm. I'd say pretty... What's the word I'm looking for? Noble? Yeah, noble mission that she was on there. Yeah. She on campus and throughout the rest of the aspects of her life, she was absolutely adored. And she got the common nickname from her students, Doc Shock. (laughs) (laughs) In 2019, Marianne was 43 years old and had recently started dating a friend of hers from college. They had just gotten back in contact. Named Marcus Lillard. They had been dating at this point in 2019 for about a year. On May 11th, 2019, she and her boyfriend Marcus went bar hopping together. It was just the end of her semester at school, and so they wanted to celebrate, go have a fun day together, go splurge on a bunch of fancy dinners and lunch and stuff, and then they would go bar hopping. Okay. How many dinners were they going to (laughs) get? Just just the one, I think, but who knows? (laughs) But yeah, so they were seen in camera footage all over the town of Milledgeville, Georgia, that Mm -hmm. day. Heard of that. Mm -hmm. After they were done bar hopping, they had been drinking quite a bit, so they decided to call up a friend of theirs that was a mutual friend. Sounds like they might have known him from college as well. Mm -hmm. His name was Clark Heindel. They knew that Clark lived in Milledgeville and that he had a pool and a spa in the backyard, and so they wanted to call him up, say, hey, we're kind of drunk, we want to chill out in the hot tub for a bit if you're down with that. And he Mm -hmm. said, yeah, come on over. Yeah, let us sober up before we try to get home. Yeah, and just hang out, nice way to relax for the evening, you know? Sure. Mm -hmm. So they got there to Clark's house at about 9 p.m. Clark, just a little backstory on him, he was a former psychologist, and in recent years he had lost his practice. They haven't really specified why, possibly drug use, and he got in a little bit of legal trouble with that. 
but in recent years, he was a yoga instructor. And just how I would describe this guy is complete hippie. Had bongos out the entire time they were in the hot tub. He was out there bongoing for him. Anyway, they started out hanging out at his house about 9 p.m. that evening. The three drank a few more beers together, and then they smoked some pot as they chatted in the early morning hours. At some point, Marcus had asked their friend Clark if he had any LSD in the house, and he told him that he did not, but he did have some ecstasy. We're already here for the night. Let's just go ahead and take those. And they did. On May 12th, so the next morning at 1.06 a.m., a 911 call was placed by Clark himself, so the homeowner, for first responders to come to his home on reports that his friend Marianne was unconscious in his hot tub. On that call, he stated that she was still breathing, but then later in the call, as they sent people out, he said that she wasn't breathing anymore, and they started to do CPR on her. Okay. At 1.20 a.m., and this footage of the body cam footage from the police on the scene, it is on the internet, and it's actually a 48 hours that they just did on this case. You can watch all of that. Oh, okay. I didn't know they had done a 48 hours. It just came out in, like, October, so it's pretty recent. So at 1.20 a.m., the deputies arrived to the home and found Clark and Marcus both attempting to perform CPR on a deceased Marianne. So at the point that the police arrived, she was already long gone, they said, for several hours. Oh, my God. Yes. So she had not been breathing when they said she had been breathing. Yes, but they think that Clark may have thought she was because when you take ecstasy or something like that, you can have hallucinations. You can have kind of false narratives of what's actually happening right now. So, yeah. That might explain that part. But they said she was obviously dead. Despite being taken out of a hot tub just a few minutes ago, she's cold to the touch. That's how deceit she was. Oh my god, that poor woman. Yeah. And the officers also discovered that she had a very large cut, like an open cut, on her forehead to the right side. And she was completely nude. The two men struggled to explain what had happened to the officers, and they had both claimed to have come back to the backyard and found her like that. They walked back there, and her face was in the water, and they didn't know what happened. Marcus told them that he had gone off into the woods briefly to collect some firewood so that they could get a fire going in the backyard. But then when he came back, Marianne was passed out in the hot tub, and his friend Clark was swimming in the pool. Okay. So when he had come back and saw her unconscious with her face underwater, he kind of raised alarms and said, Clark, what the fuck's going on? Like, have you, did you not see that Marianne was passed out? And Clark was like, I had no idea. I was just chilling in the pool. I didn't know. When the officer asked where Clark had been during this, he explained that he was like floating on his back on the complete opposite side of the yard in the pool. He really just had no clue anything was amiss. Well, when you're floating on your back, your ears fill up with water. Yeah, and especially... And and you might hear muffled noise, but you're not going to hear anything very specific. Mm -hmm. So that's very possible. Yep. Like I told you, the officer, it was very clear to them, the two deputies that arrived, that she had been deceased for a few hours by this point. And when he asked them why they hadn't called 911 sooner in the evening, they both responded that she had literally been breathing until very recently. And they both claimed that they saw it, the movement, they felt the breath. They are very adamant that they thought she was breathing. I think they were a little hesitant since they were all on various things to call the police if she was still viable, you know what I mean? If they thought there was any chance she might still be alive. Mm Mm-hmm. Then they didn't want to call anybody out there until it was, like, immediately necessary. Or they were hoping that they would come back down. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. Just enough time to pass before. But, oh my goodness. What What a waste. So at this point, the officer decided to split the two of them up because they weren't making a lot of sense. They kept flip-flopping on what their story actually was. And so he said, all right, you guys, 
He took Marcus to the back of the patrol car to go talk to him. And then the second officer took Clark and sat with him at the pool deck. Right. The second deputy continued to try to speak to Clark and ask him questions, see what his full side of the story was. But Clark was refusing to speak to him without his lawyer's presence. Wow. And then at this point on the body cam footage, you can see that the deputy talking to Clark received a phone call. And it seems like that was from his officer in charge of him. Okay. And he was explaining to that officer, this is not an unconscious person. We have a deceased female at the scene. This is a homicide investigation now. And so he's kind of on the phone and he doesn't realize that Clark has now snuck back into his home until he heard the sound of a muffled gunshot in the house. When they entered the home, they found Clark dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head with the gun still in his hands and he was in his master bathroom. They also found a three-page suicide note that he had somehow scribbled out in these couple minutes before the officer noticed he was gone. And in it, they didn't release the full suicide note. They just have released what's necessary for this trial. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I have for that is a quote that says, I don't know what happened with Marianne, but it was on my watch. I am so sorry for her family and friends, and that's the only mention he made of her in this situation in the note. Okay. I think a lot of people heard this part of the story and immediately thought Clark did this. He must be guilty if he doesn't want to talk to police and then he goes inside and immediately kills himself. I'm withholding judgment right now because I do remember when it happened Mm -hmm. and I knew kind of the basics, Mm -hmm. but I don't know any of the specifics and so I'm waiting to see what other information you have. So it is easy to jump to that conclusion. I fully agree that initially that seems suspicious as fuck. Mm -hmm. However, they soon realized that Clark had had like a really bad rough go of things the past couple of years. He had recently lost his six-year-old son to cancer. Holy shit. And then that's when the drug charges started coming in and he lost his practice and his license to practice psychology. And so, of course, with all of that, That's awful. Yeah, all of that in recent years. I can see where now one of your best friends has died in your backyard. You don't know what the fuck happened to her. You feel, like, partially responsible. Now the police are here. What do I have to live for at this point? Fuck it. I can understand that point of view, too. Yeah, because, I I mean, if he's really had nothing to do with it, Mm -hmm. I could see where he would be just like, I can't fucking win. Yeah, totally understand that. Especially if you're already intoxicated thinking those things. But, again, again, I am withholding judgment. Yeah, just playing devil's advocate, seeing both sides of the story here. Marcus, upon discovering that his friend had committed suicide right there on the scene, immediately collapsed. Well, yeah, because he's just lost two close friends, his girlfriend and a good friend, Mm -hmm. in a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. They went ahead, handcuffed him, took him down to the station to officially get him in an interview room and see what was going on this night. During this interview... Marcus stated that Clark must have done something to her in the hot tub while he was out in the woods. Because he had the same conclusion I was talking about before. Oh, I didn't think he would do this, but then he went and immediately committed suicide. This is weird. And so then later in the interview, he completely flipped his stance on that and said, but I know Clark, he would never have done something like that. He was kind of wishy-washy the entire time through this. Yeah. Which again, to play devil's advocate... I can see both sides where you're just coming to that, but he might have, but I don't think he would. Yeah. Very confusing. It is. And there's, when it's somebody that you've known for such a long time, Mm -hmm. you think you know that person really deeply, but look how many people are shocked when Mm -hmm. people that they know Mm -hmm. have done these horrific things. I mean, there are people who 
don't know their spouse is a serial killer. Yeah. So I could see why he's basically wrestling with himself about mm-hmm. whether he believes that could have happened or not. And again, he is intoxicated this entire time where he's probably just thinking out loud at this point. Yeah. Trying to come right. to terms. After the fact, an autopsy was performed on Marianne in that they discovered that her cause of death was not drowning like they had initially thought, but was actually manual strangulation. And another key part of that is that her hyoid bone was intact. So she had like the ligature marks of a handprint kind of thing, but it wasn't strong enough to break the hyoid. Okay. In court later on, The medical examiner that did this autopsy said that that would usually indicate somebody is an older age and not as strong-handed as somebody that was younger. And in this case, Clark was the oldest. She's not really sure. All she can say is that somebody definitely wrapped their hand around this woman's throat and choked her. So that's how she died or it just made her pass out? That's how she died from the loss of circulation to her brain is what her conclusion from the autopsy was. Okay. And as she was also found naked at the time, she tried to find any evidence of possible sexual activity. If that was maybe what was happening at the time, it would make sense. I mean, her boyfriend was there. It's not that weird to have sex in a hot tub, you know. But she wasn't able to find anything at all that said that she was sexually active that evening due to her being in a 107-degree hot tub for many hours, possibly. It's also possible that could have just washed away and not been seen, able to be found. Yeah. She also found that Maria, not surprisingly, had alcohol, marijuana, and MDMA in her system. After this, just because the medical examiner that did this autopsy lived in the area and had heard all of the things leading up to this, they wanted to get a person who was unbiased and didn't know what led to this and just go over the autopsy report and nothing else. Good idea. So they sent this forensic pathologist nothing but the autopsy report, and after he had gone over it, he determined that it was also possible that Marianne, she had an enlarged heart, and this was a known medical issue she'd had her whole life. Mm-hmm. And so after seeing that, he said that the combination of drugs and alcohol and all that, that and, she had in her system. It, and the heat from the hot tub. And the heat. Yeah, that's true. All of that combined. So he said that he also saw signs of manual strangulation. He said, totally, I can see somebody obviously had their hand around her neck. However, he thinks that another cause of death could have been the combination of drugs and the heat combined with her known heart problem, and that could have led to sudden cardiac arrest. He's not exactly sure which one came first. Okay. But the first medical examiner did think it was a homicide. He's just saying yes to both situations. (laughs) Yeah, but like you said, he knew the whole scenario, and it kind of puts you in the mindset of it looks like a homicide happened there even before the autopsy took place exactly exactly i wanted to bring both of those people into this because we yeah so marcus was arrested after the autopsy came back and manual strangulation was the main cause of death from the first medical examiner he was charged by prosecutors with reckless conduct involuntary manslaughter concealing the death of another aggravated assault and felonious murder he pled in court not guilty to all During the trial, the prosecution brought in several of Marcus's friends who had text message and call evidence that starting at around 11 p.m. the night before she was found dead, he had been texting them and calling them, messaging them on Facebook, several friends saying, hey, something's wrong with Marianne. How do I revive an unconscious person? Hey, do you know how to do CPR? And the 911 call was not made until 1 a.m. 
for at least two hours. At least two hours. She had been in some kind of medical emergency, and he did not decided instead of calling the police, he was oh. going to text people and say, "Hey, do you know what I should do?" And then you finally, should call the damn nine one one and let them come and save her. Exactly. And one of his friends finally said at like one o'clock, she just happened to check her phone. It was like, you need to call the police and get paramedics there immediately. Well, yeah, I mean, at that point, it doesn't even have to be the police. It just needs to be somebody that has medical knowledge that can come and revive her. That's that's unfortunate that they fucked around for two hours. It doesn't look good in his case there. No, it doesn't. But like you said, they were afraid that they were going to get busted for drugs. Mm Mm-hmm. If your choice is between let your friend die or you get busted for a minor drug charge, mm-hmm. the minor drug charge is probably a misdemeanor. And a lot of the time, I don't think that they're going to try to go after you if you've just saved somebody's life. Yeah. On top of that, the prosecution also brought forward as witnesses, I think they said six of Marcus's ex-girlfriends. Okay. And all of them testified that he was very into choking them aggressively during sex, which is, again, if you're doing it safely, who fucking cares? And if it's consensual, go for it. Right. If that was a thing you agreed upon, whatever. But two of them stated that he had done this to them before to the point where they had become unconscious and he kept going multiple times in their relationship. And so this was a known thing where they ended up breaking up with him because he wouldn't stop. He wouldn't listen to the safe word. He wouldn't let them tap out when he was doing this. So that, again, is not looking great on Marcus's part. No, it's not. Finally, Marcus's alibi of going out to get firewood at the time when she had collapsed into the hot tub, it wasn't adding up to anybody because it had just rained that night. So all of the nearby woods and all the trees around them were still damp from the rain. It wasn't going to be viable for a fire anytime soon. And when they went inside Clark's house, he had in the living room an entire fireplace full of stacked logs ready to be used as firewood. Yeah. Well, and if he had come back from the woods, he would have come back with wood. That's true. He did not come back with wood. But he later switched that in the trial and said that actually in his drug-induced state... He had recently seen a documentary where person in the documentary had gone out and buried themselves under dirt in order to overcome and face their fears. And so in his drug-induced state, he remembered that documentary and said, there's a forest right there. I'm going to go out there and bury myself under the mud in the forest and try to have this like zen moment like this person in the documentary. This is all on trial. I know. I don't even understand the thought process here. <laughs> so, I don't know if his fear was, like, claustrophobia or, or mud. buried alive. Or... I'm afraid of mud. <laughs> yeah. So he said that's what he initially went out into the forest to do. And then finally he got out into the middle of the forest. And instead of doing that, he just laid on the ground and looked up at the sky. And then he came back and found Marianne slumped over in the hot tub. Sounds legit, Marcus. But, yeah, that's the story. Okay, so I'm, I'm kind of losing my believability factor re- mm-hmm. regarding That's where Marcus. I stood, too. Yeah. Actually, despite all of this, the jury came back in April of 2022 and completely acquitted him of all charges. However, it was revealed that Marcus had been on parole at the time of her death on an unrelated drug charge from 
2013 or 14 or something like that. And that's why he was terrified to call them. And that's why he didn't want to call the police. Oh my god. So the judge presiding over this trial said, you're not guilty of these crimes that were brought up against you. You're not guilty of these. However, your parole, you were in violation and this happened. And this is a pretty big freaking deal. Pretty big whoopsie. And so he revoked his parole and sent him back to prison until 2030. But he is eligible for parole again before that. All right. So ladies, don't date Marcus. Marcus, just go into it with a questioning eye. On top of that, Marcus's own son believes that his dad did it. He believes fully that he's guilty and actually was also very close to Clark before his suicide. Marcus's son had started seeing Clark when he was a teenager as his psychologist. Oh, wow. After he became an adult, and it sounds like Clark specialized in teenage trauma stuff type of thing. And so after that, he couldn't see him anymore, but they became good friends anyway. Mm-hmm. So Marcus's son has since come forward, and this is a quote he gave on who he thinks did this. Okay. He said, I knew Clark, and I knew Marcus. And you know, I knew a peaceful man, and then I knew an angry man. Wow. I think that's pretty telling your own son is like, yeah, I saw behind closed doors for both these people and I know who did this. <laughs> yeah. And in a recent 48 Hours episode about this case that I already mentioned, Marcus gave an interview and stated, my conscience is very clear when it comes to Marianne. Do I miss Marianne? Yeah. I was lucky to get that time with her that I did and I cherish that, but no part of this was my fault. And that's where I'll end our story because we don't know. Well, I mean, if you... If you start at the very beginning mm-hmm. with the knowledge that you have at the end, mm-hmm. it seems pretty clear the whole chain of events that happened. Yeah. You know, they were in the hot tub. Maybe they were playing. Maybe they were not. Mm-hmm. Maybe Clark actually got out and was just swimming. Yeah. And while Clark was swimming, maybe Marcus and Marianne were starting to fool around mm-hmm. and he choked her too hard. Mm-hmm. She passed out, hit her head. And then waits a little bit, goes up to Clark in the pool and says, oh my god, I just got back from the forest and Marion's not waking up. Yeah. What what the fuck? Yeah, because if Clark is stoned, he doesn't, he's not paying attention to what they're doing. And when you are stoned, time passes so fast and so slow at the same time. So it's so hard to say, oh, you were out in the forest for an hour? I didn't even notice. Or, you know, like think about every time you're drunk, you like have a couple glasses of wine and last time you looked at the clock it was 10 and now it's 2 a.m. and it's, it's like, like oh shit I've gotta be <laughs> I gotta be work at 7 30. Exactly. <laughs> so if you just think about it I could totally understand where Clark is like how the fuck where maybe he even thought Marcus killed her and I was right there and I didn't know and maybe that was part of the guilt that he talked about in his suicide note briefly. Well, that guilt and the whole avalanche of things that had happened to him over the mm-hmm. last... He's just had a nightmare of a decade. Mm-hmm. The whole chronology makes a lot more sense once you get to the end of that story. Wow, that's a terrible story. That poor woman. Mm-hmm. She had worked so hard to get such a good name for herself. And then whatever happened that night and now all people remember her for is... Her death. Mm-hmm. So what do you got? Are you going to bring us up today? A little bit. Okay. That's how it usually goes. <laughs> Daniel Palmer Jr. and Eileen Kelly Palmer married in West Virginia's Ravenswood area in the 1960s, and they raised three children together. Mm-hmm. Their son, Daniel Palmer III, and their daughter, Wanda Palmer, both stayed in the area 
And the other daughter, Ashley, later left the area and moved to Longbottom, Ohio. So she's really not in our story. Mm-hmm. Daniel graduated from high school and became a truck driver. Daniel, the son, that is, had graduated from high school and became a truck driver for a while, and he enjoyed mechanic work and antique cars, liked Mm -hmm. working in his yard, things like that. Wanda was really sensitive. She was a caring person. She stayed close to her parents, and she actually lived in a mobile home next door to them and right down the hill from their house in Cottageville, West Virginia. Okay. So they're basically a little family unit right there on Sounds the hill. Sounds pretty typical for a Midwestern family, to be honest. <laughs> One warm spring day, June the 10th, 2020, lawn care workers had arrived outside of Wanda's house, just came to mow the grass. They went looking for Wanda, and when they found her, 49-year-old Wanda Palmer was found sitting on her couch with her head slumped over, covered with blood, and completely non-responsive. They couldn't really tell what was wrong with her. They just knew there was a lot of blood, Hmm. and they were terrified. So the lawn care workers instantly panicked and rode their four-wheeler up the hill because they knew Wanda's mother, Eileen Palmer, lived at the top of the hill. Okay. So they told Eileen the story of what they had seen. She took it all in, and she immediately called 911. Once they arrived, at first the emergency personnel thought Wanda was dead. Her injuries were so brutal and severe that the sheriff stated, and he stated this afterward, he didn't state this in the news the same day they found her, I wouldn't have wagered a nickel for her life that morning. Quite honestly, she was unconscious and circling the drain medically, mm-hmm. end quote. Upon first setting foot in the living room where Wanda had been attacked, they initially thought they were dealing with a murder case. Mm-hmm. Wanda had sustained catastrophic head injuries caused by what was thought to be a hatchet, an axe, or a machete. She appeared to be dead, but a low gurgle from her throat clued them in to the fact that Wanda wasn't down for the count yet. She was breathing, although barely hanging on to life. She was stabilized as best they could under the circumstances and then transported to the hospital for emergency medical intervention. When Eileen, her mother, first saw her in the hospital, Wanda was in critical condition and on life support for some time, but eventually was able to breathe on her own again. And although her very survival was an unexpected surprise, she didn't wake up. She was moved to a care facility two hours from Cottageville. Her brain injuries were so severe, her brain had shut down all of her non-critical body functions as her brain attempted to heal itself. But the longer she was comatose, the less likely it seemed that she would ever wake up. And as long as she was unable to provide information about what had happened to her, The mystery of what took place in her living room would not be easy to solve. The fact was that the sheriff's detectives just didn't have anything to go on. The viciousness of the attack, the brutality of the blows, and the fact that whoever had done this clearly wanted Wanda dead made it appear to be a crime of passion, so the sheriff began trying to determine if someone close to Wanda had been responsible. Hmm. She didn't have anyone living with her. She didn't have any red flag dating relationships. She didn't have any stalkers. So Sheriff Mellinger was running into issues trying to reason out the story and build a case. There were no eyewitnesses to the crime. Even Eileen, who lived right up the hill from her daughter's home, said that she had had all of her windows open and she didn't hear a thing. Hmm. Wanda had no home cameras, no surveillance. There were no cell phone records that gave them any clues. The weapon was not found at the crime scene. There had been a neighbor driving home from a late shift around midnight who reported having seen Wanda's brother Daniel Palmer on the front porch of her home the night before she was found, but nothing in the home or the forensic evidence that was collected gave the investigation probable cause to arrest Daniel or even treat him as a suspect. Well, did they at least talk to him? I'm sure they talked to everybody. Okay. 
So investigators, with very little else to go on related to the crime, began looking into Wanda's past. They checked back through her old social media posts. They found a Facebook post from January 16, 2019, where Wanda was upset and talking about her brother Daniel. So this was about a year and a half before. Hmm. It read, My brother Daniel, why you trespass on my mobile home and damage things which you have no right to? For shame on you. And a meme on that same post that said, the enemy is not fighting you because you are weak. He's fighting you because you're strong. So that seemed... A little eerie. A little bit eerie. Considering. <laughs> yeah. Another Facebook post of hers said simply that she hated lying-ass thieves, to which someone else made the comment, well, then quit letting your brother in the house. Oh, dear Lord. Interviews with friends and family confirmed that there was a known violent history between Daniel and Wanda. In the small rural county where they lived, the bad blood between Wanda and Daniel was well known. For years in their adulthood, the family dynamics were known to be toxic, although it had never escalated to any violent extent like this before. So Daniel Palmer was looking more and more like someone who was a person of interest and likely suspect. Mm -hmm. But because of lack of physical evidence, they still didn't have probable cause to arrest Daniel. It's not illegal to be an asshole to your sibling. For two years, Wanda lay in a coma, and during this time, there was basically no movement on her case. In late June 2022, staff at the care facility was surprised to find that she had started to show signs of emerging from her coma, little by little, and finally, she was awake. So after two years? After two years. Although her speech was primitive, and she could only manage one or two syllable responses, it slowly started to return. She started giving simple answers to questions, seemed coherent, seemed mentally clear, lucid. She remembered that she lived in a trailer near her mother. She knew she had been attacked in her home, that she had been injured. She identified the attacker as her mean brother. She only has one brother, and Daniel Palmer, age 55, was arrested in mid-July 2022. When deputies went to arrest Daniel Palmer, he literally dragged his feet limply along the ground while being dragged to the sheriff's vehicle. So he threw a temper tantrum. He basically threw a temper tantrum and they dragged him to their vehicle by his arms. Mm. After being taken in, it took hours to get him to cooperate. He was so combative and belligerent that his arraignment was not able to be in court. It took place in the Jackson County Sheriff's Office, where he was charged with attempted murder and malicious wounding. Bond was set at $500,000. He was then sent to the hospital for evaluation, after which he was taken to the jail. Wanda is never expected to fully recover and live a completely normal Mm -hmm. life, but she perseveres. I mean, her head wounds were so bad. Was it just her head that was the attack It sounds like pretty much he just whapped the hell out of her with whatever that weapon was. And it sounds like it was all in her head. All on her head, not in her head. She didn't imagine that the whole thing. She's tough and resilient. The fact that she came back from two years in a coma to name her attacker, Mm -hmm. that's phenomenal by itself. The sheriff called her reawakening a true testament to the perseverance and strength of the victim herself. She continues to recover. Her waking up was astounding, and her being able to remember the attack well enough to know her brother had been the perpetrator was nothing short of amazing, especially considering the horrific brain injuries that she had been left with. But Daniel Palmer, despite the positive identification by his sister, isn't going to prison for a long sentence. On July 20th, 2022, after being in custody for seven days, Daniel was found to be suffering from undisclosed symptoms and was taken from the jail to Charleston Hospital and was pronounced dead the following day. 
The reports were that he was generally an unhealthy 55-year-old man and that his overall health, combined with the stress of being in lockup, had just caught up with him and continued to spiral during his time in custody. Wow, a whole seven days. Yeah. The sheriff expressed regret that, quote, from an investigator's standpoint, it is unfortunate that we don't have the chance to see the case through, Mm -hmm. in meaning to see him go to prison for what he did. yeah. But we turn the focus towards the victim in the case and hope she continues to get better. She has a long road ahead of her, end quote. And all of those developments that just happened last summer. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, there aren't a lot of reports on Wanda's progress so mm-hmm. far from her recovery or her plans for the future because now she's got her whole life ahead of her without this asshole in her life. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, I can't imagine... The kind of physical therapy she's probably got to oh, do. Yeah. Totally. Not she's going to have to muscles? relearn to do everything. I'm sure she's got atrophied muscles. She's going to have to have all kinds of physical therapy, occupational therapy. Like even when you were talking about how, I know she's breathing on her own for a while there, but can you imagine after two years of not talking, even when you go to bed when you have a cold and wake up in the morning trying to talk with a sore throat, I can't imagine. Yeah how painful that would be in weird ways that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, no, you're right, because your throat would be so scuffed. Easily inflamed from any little movement you make. Yeah. Just Just from, like, half an hour of not swallowing will make your throat sore. Mm -hmm. Had she not awakened, and had she not identified her brother, it's unlikely that he ever would have been arrested. He would have just gotten away with this forever. And if he would do this to his sister, what other crimes may he have committed over the years that nobody ever identified with him? Mm -hmm. You know? And how many more might he later have committed? This guy was not a nice person. He was not a good guy. But again, the sheriff says, despite her brother's death, Wanda was able to get her voice back, and her voice mattered. Mm -hmm. And that's important. And her brother won't be hurting anybody else. And so it's not a super uplifting story, but I'm I'm really happy that she's going to end up with a life. Mm-hmm. She's going to relearn to do things. She's going to be able to have some sort of a life, and I hope it's a happy one for her. And I'm glad that she identified that jackass. That's a great story. I mean, just medically speaking, I can't believe after that long she just woke up. Like, yeah. she, she's just... With the okay brain, enough. the brain knows it needs to shut shit down. It, mm-hmm. If it's got to heal, it's like, okay, you're not going to open, you're not going to blink, you're not going to move your hands, you're not going to be talking. I have one other thing. Okay. I also want to take a moment to recognize and wish a happy birthday to Jonathan, the oldest living land animal on earth. Today or when this comes out? This year. It's okay. basically 2022. It's his 190th year. What is he? He's a Seychelles giant tortoise. Oh. He has lived on the South Atlantic island of St. Helena since he arrived there in 1882. Holy shit. Where he was first photographed. His age, 190 years, is an estimation based upon shell measurements documented from the photo that was taken in 1882, which showed that he was, at that time, fully mature so he was at least 50 years old when he arrived from, from Seychelles, although he could be even older than what we think he is. The residents of St. Helena are celebrating, actually, this week. It was Yesterday, the news articles came out. 
they are putting together a three-day celebration with all kinds of activities going on just to recognize him and to honor him. He's having all kinds of things, including a birthday cake that's made of all of his favorite healthy foods. Probably not something that I would want to eat. Yeah. (laughs) And Jonathan is estimated to have hatched in 1832. He holds the Guinness World Record for the oldest living land animal and also has been named the oldest tortoise ever. And I don't know exactly how they know that, but based on the fact that giant tortoises typically live between 80 and 120 years, mm-hmm. he's already 70 years older than the normal lifespan for a giant tortoise. Well, I hate to burst your bubble here, Mom, but we might not want whatever his cake is made out of, but it sounds like he's doing something right. <laughs> so maybe we need to switch our diet. All right, I'm going to start eating giant tortoise birthday cake. Probably like fish. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Do they eat anything other than vegetation? I don't know. I've seen them eat leaves and like... Lettuce. Tomatoes. They like tomatoes? I've seen them eat all kinds of stuff. There's one that I follow on TikTok who eats like watermelon sometimes. (laughs) I thought those were hippos. (laughs) I don't think this woman had a hippo living in her backyard. (laughs) You never know. They look pretty similar though. I could have used like... (laughs) So happy birthday to Jonathan. 190 years at least. Okay, everybody. Well, I think that that is enough for one day. And so I hope you will contact us and go follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at True Crime BNB. And as always, we are open in our email at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. You can send us story requests, any updates you might have heard that we haven't gotten to yet, or even just a funny story from your week. And we have an announcement as well. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? We have our 50th podcast episode coming up. On December the 30th. Yeah, so right at the end of the year. And to celebrate... We are going to give away... What we are calling a and Beanie. The True Crime and Beanie. It's a custom beanie with our logo on it that we will send out to a lucky winner of the sweepstakes. We'll announce how to go ahead and enter that here in the next week. Yeah, so we're going to start putting the information about how to enter on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And also next week we will have a little blurb at the beginning about how to enter. So start looking for us on social media to Mm kind of get a jump on that. And in the meantime... We'll see you next week. Yes, we will. Thank you guys for being here. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. And who knows what happens after I go to sleep at night. Maybe you don't want to fix the squeaky floor in my room because then at least you have a warning when my naked bus coming around the corner. (laughs) You're like, "Uh oh, I hear the squeak. Better avert my eyes. Whoop, 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 whoop. (laughs) Okay. I forgot we're still doing our sound check. Details of why that might be. Okay. You son of a bitch. We knew you were gonna do this, but I can't get you up here by myself because I can't bend over that far. Come here. <laughs> She's putting all of her dead weight into the ground. Oh, come on, bear. I can't pick you up. You have to help. Yeah, that's very helpful, I guess. It's loud. I don't know where you were. Okay. Poor. LSD, I think. You were an LSD. I was on LSD. <laughs> When we interrupted you. Okay, I'll just start that sentence. Yeah, she's drinking again. This fucking cat. Jeez. She's a drinker. <laughs> she sure is. <laughs> I learned from watching you. <laughs> Guilty. Touche, puss. Touche. So they sent this off to another Georgia, just in another state. I mean, not in another state. <laughs> <laughs>
the other state of Georgia. The, the country Georgia in yeah. Europe. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Despite the sheriff's death. <laughs> that's not that's true. That's new. That's not what happened. <laughs> Time, this is episode 47. And take. Uh, snowball, do your thing. All right. Oh, there's a big slap in there. I wonder what that was from. Don't know. Mm-mm.